Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Rosenbaum, a political correspondent with St. Louis Public Radio and one of the hosts of Politically Speaking. What you're about to hear is a conversation with Ben Samuels, who has spent the past few months running for the 2nd Congressional District seat. But as you're about to hear, this is not a typical candidate interview that we've been doing and will do on this program throughout the 2022 election cycle. The Democrat wanted to use this platform to talk about a major decision he's made about the contest. Here's our conversation. So before you tell me what your announcement is, can you just explain to our listeners who you are and what you were doing until basically now? Yeah, so uh, I am Ben Samuels, and we'll get into this a bit more, but for the past year, I have been running for uh, U.S. Congress in the second congressional district uh, against Ann Wagner, the seat that was uh, formerly the suburban St. Louis seat that covered South County and the Clayton Ledoux area and West County and a little bit of St. Charles, and now is a is a much different district, but had been getting out and talking to as many people as I can and uh, running a campaign to try to win this thing. So what is your announcement that you would like to not only tell me, but the people of the second district? For those of you who haven't been following all of the redistricting stuff that's been happening in Jeff City, and if you haven't, you're lucky, the the rules have changed. The, the playing field has changed. And by design, the Republican supermajority in the legislature didn't just take this from a pretty 50-50 district into a district that was designed to be unwinnable for Democrats. They did it in a way that consistently drew me out of the district. Every iteration of the map always had me out of the district by about half a block or a block or two blocks. And that was true time and time again. And they've changed the rules. And I think I can do more this time around to serve the community, to help people, to do the stuff I cared about when I got into this election in terms of helping people and bringing normal back to politics by uh, by withdrawing. And it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that we've ended up in a system, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, where, uh, where, where all of these districts have gotten across the country more partisan, more extreme. And it's unfortunate that the state legislature has the unilateral authority not to just to draw candidates out of districts, but to make districts better for themselves. And I care about doing good and helping people here. And uh, I think I can do more at this stage uh, outside of this race than in it. So just to be clear, and you said this, but I want to make sure that we're, we're that our listeners understand it. you are dropping out of the Democratic primary for the second congressional district. I am. Yes. So when you entered this race and you started fundraising at a pretty blistering pace, it it was not a secret that Republicans wanted to make the second district more Republican. Did that have any impact of how you were going to approach this contest? So I knew going in that Republicans had the ability to redraw this district. And I would say 
a couple of things on that. One is that we need good people running for office everywhere in the country, regardless of how challenging or difficult districts can be. It's not just that. And in fact, early versions of this map drew it to be a much more competitive district than the final version of the district that they ultimately landed on. I think that the challenge here, among other things, is that I was literally drawn out of the district. And that's a real that that's a real hurdle and that's a real challenge. And again, it wasn't just in the final version of the map. In every iteration of the map, I was always drawn out by half a block or two blocks or whatever it was. And uh, as you said, I've been lucky from, from the get-go. People have been excited about our campaign and eager to support our campaign. Um, and we had done a good job putting this race on the map because we were able to raise the money, build the support locally, build the support that you need nationally to do this. But uh, with the, the, the ground rules changed and I was drawn out of the district and uh, that it just changes the situation here, um, which is which is unfortunate. So I follow redistricting policy very closely, and I know that there is often a demand for fairness when it comes to redistricting, often from people that are at a distinct disadvantage at, in the process. So in Missouri, that would be Democrats calling for fairness. Republicans are going to be calling for fairness in Illinois and New York and maybe California, even though they have a commission system. How do you delink the actual drive to create districts that are not just designed for partisan gain from kind of the reality that the people that are pushing for quote unquote fairness may be doing it because they want to gain from a partisan level as well? Yeah, it, it, and I've said this before and I'll say it here again, what's happening in Illinois or in New York is just as bad as what's happening here or in Texas or in Florida. But you're right. And the, cha the, the challenge is exactly what you're saying, is that everyone has an incentive to draw themselves safe seats, not seats that are representative of the community, not seats that are designed to be fair or demonstrate the partisan balance of the state. It is purely for partisan gain here and in Illinois and everywhere in the country. And that the, the people that lose are people in the middle, are voters who really want a fair say in these elections rather than voting in districts that are literally designed to produce a certain outcome. You know, you think about the dialogue that happened here in Missouri. Should we have a 7-1 map or a 6-2 map or a 5-3 map? which is basically, should we have this preordained outcome where there are seven Republicans and one Democrat or six Republicans and two Democrats and nothing about, hey, what 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 communities should we put together? How should we create a district that is representative of the state? And that's, I've been paying a lot of attention to it too nationally. And, and that's what we're seeing. To answer your question specifically, I think the challenge is that no one is in the business of unilaterally disarming and it's very hard for a state like Texas, um, which is controlled by Republicans, to give up all of its power if a state like New York or Illinois isn't willing to do it. And we've seen that action isn't going to come from the federal level. And so what I'm hoping for and what I'm going to try to use my platform for here now that I'm out of the race, but planning to stay 
engaged in things locally and try to address this issue locally and nationally is how do you get people to work together across the aisle to do this together? And so the example I've pointed to before and we'll continue talking about is that in Illinois, there are in the, in the start of 2023, there's going to be 17 congressional districts in, in Illinois, obviously a blue state in Missouri, in Arkansas and in Oklahoma. There are together 17 congressional districts. Um, those are all red states. And can you get the governors of these states together? Can you get the legislatures of the states together to say, we will introduce nonpartisan redistricting predicated upon the other states doing this also? Um, and that way, there's no one who gets a competitive edge. The people who benefit are voters, or people in the middle, or people who want congressional districts that represent their communities. But it's not going to happen. Uh, with just the Democrats or just the Republicans moving because no one has an incentive to do that. And that's pretty bad. So one of the things that uh, people who follow redistricting policy often say as an alternative to the legislature drawing maps is that you should create some sort of commission that is going to handle redistricting, perhaps in a less overtly partisan way. But there have been people who have said commissions are not a panacea. I could point to a ProPublica article about California's commission that was yeah. completely manipulated by Democratic activists in 2011. Um, and there's probably also people who are like, well, creating a commission in a state that is heavily Democratic or heavily Republican that creates fair districts, you know, is not actually indicative of what that state would want. So I know that that is more of an observation than a question, but I think this is a really important point if you want to actually make things better about how you functionally make it better. And I'd be interested yeah. in your opinion about that. There are there there are commissions in states that work, and there's commission it's, uh, states where commissions work and states where commissions don't. I think uh, New York and California are two pretty good examples where commissions didn't work. I think uh, Colorado and Michigan are examples where the commissions worked quite well, and you end up with congressional districts, some of which are Republican, some of which are Democratic, and a lot are pretty purple, which represents two pretty purple states. So I think there's something to be learned from that. But you're right that it's not a panacea. You're right that just setting up a commission itself is not enough. And it's not the only thing that you need to fix. So I think a good example here is I actually think these current maps in Missouri are probably unconstitutional. And a lot of other people I've spoken with who understand election law and the Missouri Constitution a whole lot better than I do basically agree with that. But the challenge is that the Missouri legislature basically has the ability to run out the clock and judges, I think with good reason, honestly, don't interfere with elections this close to elections. And there's a bunch of little things that you need to chip away at. And I think the way that you do it um, is twofold. You have to get Democratic and Republican states moving in tandem which I think you can do, but it's not that easy to get any state to do unilaterally. And you have to fix the other things around it. And you also can use ballot measures as a way to push policy that I think is broadly popular. Republicans don't like gerrymandering any more than Democrats like gerrymandering. And I think there's some opportunity there as well. I, I, to, your, to, to your point, I, I wish there were a one panacea to address all of this and there's not. I think there's just a bunch of little things that you need to chip away at. I, I do want to hit on your your point that you think that these maps are unconstitutional. 
because now I live in the second district. I'm I'm recording this from the Richmond Heights Bureau of St. Louis Public Radio. And a lot of people that live in Richmond Heights and Maplewood are absolutely incensed that they were drawn into Motu around this peninsula of Webster Groves. And they feel that that violates the prohibition against making uncompact districts. But as you mentioned, they may not change it for this cycle. And the reality is the compactness requirement of the Constitution was incredibly weakened by a 2012 decision by the Missouri Supreme Court that upheld the maps that have been in place for for 10 years. Can you kind of address that point? Do you think that there could be a lawsuit over Motu, maybe not this year, but in subsequent years, which may make it a little bit more competitive after all is said and done? Yes, I I do. We've been talking to people about this, and this is one where uh, our fight here isn't over, even if I'm not going to be on the ballot this time around. And a lot of it is addressing exactly this. You know, I, I wish that it were unconstitutional in Missouri for one state senator to be able to draw a congressional district for his cousin, who happens to be a member of the U.S. House of Representatives in the Luke Myers, or I wish that people who are running for office uh, in the state legislature couldn't draw themselves districts that were favorable because you put certain demographics into a district that make your primary easier or put certain communities together that shouldn't be together um, uh, and just draw whatever district is politically expeditious for you. That's exactly what's been happening. None of that is unconstitutional, probably should be, but isn't. The thing that is unconstitutional is what you said, which is that there's a very explicitly defined definition of compactness in the Missouri Constitution. And the first district that weaves and bobs through Maplewood and through Richmond Heights, and the third district that's got a Pac-Man looking thing going on that sort of swallows up the first district, and the second district and chops up half of Jefferson County, those are things that it I mean, those that it just fails the sniff test, right? You don't need to be any sort of elections expert to look at that map and say that's not compact. And so I do think we have a compelling case. I think the challenge is we're just too close to an election right now for that to change, but we're going to continue fighting that and hope for districts that are fairer, more balanced, more representative. And just as a typical disclosure, the person that you mentioned, Senator Tony Luke DeMeyer and I are actual friends in real life and were friends before he became a senator. That's a typical disclosure that I point out whenever he's mentioned in the podcast. Do, do you plan on actually maybe using some of your campaign money to initiate a lawsuit eventually over compactness? Or do you think that you may not have standing anymore after you drop out of the race? This is one where, you know, I will defer to people who understand who are lawyers and understand all of this better than I do. I do want to help out and be engaged in this, not just as someone who has been running for the seat, but because in the thousands of conversations I've had and that in all the time I've spent in the community meeting with people, talking to people, it's a purple district through and through. It's a lot of people who are pretty fed up with the far right and are pretty fed up with the far left. And I think those people deserve a say in who their representative is. And that means a more purple district than the one that's been gerrymandered for them. But what specifically that looks like, uh, my my honest answer is I, I just don't know right now, but we're working on that and I'm going to stay engaged there. 
It's also possible that there could be another person that ends up suing over this, and that is Congresswoman Cori Bush uh, or somebody who is uh, allied with her. Because let's just be honest with, with ourselves. Taking out Richmond Heights and Maplewood are parts of those places hurts Cori Bush. Those places voted for her by an overwhelming margin in 2020. And the reason I mention this is that, yes, these maps were obviously put forward and, per, and propelled through the process by Republicans. It's a Republican legislature. Y you cannot absolve them of responsibility here. But the reason why that formulation is happening is, is undoubtedly because it had a scent from Democrats that do not like Cori Bush and want to hurt her long term. So I guess that this kind of speaks to the idea that, yes, there has been an effort nationally from Democratic groups to say gerrymandering is a purely Republican phenomenon. But I think in this instance, this had some bipartisan elements to it aimed at hurting a sitting member of Congress. Again, that's more of a statement than a question, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on just the idea that this is not just something that is done by one party or the other. Oh, I completely agree with you on that. You, it, it, it happens that most of the gerrymandering here has been done by Republicans, which I think is mostly a function of Republicans being in power. But if you look at the people who voted in favor of the new map on the Democratic side, a lot of them just so happen to be people who are actively primarying Cory Bush or who I think down the line might have intentions of primarying Cory Bush. And look, I've made no secret of the fact that Cory Bush and I do not see eye to eye on a lot of different questions of policy. That's just not a relevant statement here in the context of drawing districts that are fair and representative. And I think the challenge is politicians drawing their own districts is bad for everyone because they're going to be self-serving and they're going to draw themselves districts that make it easier for them to win either in their current seat or in the seats that they're running for or in the seats that they want to run for uh, in the future. And to, to, to go back to a point I made a moment ago, if you look at the old version of this district, I don't have the new data, something like 80% of this district is either moderate or of the of the current of the current about to be former district is either moderate or uh, slightly conservative or slightly liberal, all pretty middle of the road people who wouldn't consider themselves hard partisans. A lot of these people voted for Biden and then uh, voted for Romney eight years before that or voted for Obama and Trump or voted for McCaskill and Wagner. I mean, it is a pretty moderate district in that way people who don't like the plain partisanship, who have just no say in this process at all. But to, to, to get back to your original point, this is not a uniquely Republican problem. Democrats who give themselves more favorable maps for the pure sake of political expediency are just as guilty here as Republicans are. So just to play a little bit of devil's advocate with that previous point, I think one of the other realities that is in place when it comes to making the second district more competitive, and this has been a situation for decades, is the first district is a African-American plurality district. I think it might be an African-American majority yep. after redistricting. And for let's, again, I, I'm all for honesty on this show. There has been a push for white Democrats in the St. Louis region to make that district less African-American for decades because they feel that packing African-Americans in that district 
basically makes the second district unwinnable for Democrats and makes it perpetually Republican. And what a lot of African-Americans would say, and I think that they have a, a, a relevant point here, is that the history of racism and also the history of the white antagonism toward the black political community necessitates having a black congressional district, even at the expense of competitiveness. And I know this is a weird thing for two white guys to be talking about, but I think that this is an important point in this entire conversation. I'd be interested in, in your take on this. I, I, I support the Voting Rights Act, and the Voting Rights Act has been slowly being chipped away at and stripped away at the federal level for a long time now. But one of the things that the Voting Rights Act guarantees is the right for minority communities and communities of color to have a say and have representative districts in US Congress. And part of that is exactly what you're saying, which is making sure that there are plurality, if not majority black districts, um, where there are large African-American communities. And that that's the case here. And so I think it is important to have that voice and representation because I support the Voting Rights Act. I think that if you had true nonpartisan redistricting, acknowledging your caveats on this earlier, that that's a hard thing to truly achieve, although I think there are some states that have done it well, the there are ways to draw this district that are fair and representative. If you look at how uh, the city of St. Charles is changing, that's gotten to be a very fast growing pretty purple area in a way that the more Western parts of St. Charles County aren't necessarily. And if you want to draw congressional districts that aren't just representative of, uh, you know, who is preordained to win this district, but what districts share a lot with one another, I think the city of St. Charles and the city of Clayton, which are two pretty budding uh, sort of new downtown, new business areas that exist in the region, I think there's a compelling argument that those places be put together. I think there's just a lot more like that where uh, how you how you draw the district can can be done in more than just plainly partisan ways. Um, and I think that's what we need to be focusing on as we move towards a fairer system here, but also in Illinois, where Democrats are corrupting the process just as much as Republicans are here. My final question for you, what are you going to do next? And what are you going to do with all the campaign money that you have that, I mean, as I mentioned on the outset, I think you raised about over a million dollars for this. So you still have the ability to run for something in the future on a federal level. You can't transfer it to the, st the state, obviously. What's next for Ben Samuels with, with that as context? Yeah. So I'll address the second question first. In terms of the money, People, we, we've been uh, we've been incredibly lucky, and, and I've been incredibly grateful to have the support that we have. Um, people contributed to my race because I was running for a U.S. House of Representatives seat, and so my plan is to um, return a lot, if not most, of that money to people because it doesn't feel right or fair to hold on to that. And if people, uh, we, we, I think, with what's left over, we will support candidates locally who I think push for a lot of the good common sense bipartisan reforms that we need in this country and people who are committed to making people's lives better races here in Missouri in the Midwest and around the country. I think the other thing I'd like to do is support organizations that recruit 
good candidates uh, to run for office to focus on bringing sanity back to politics because I do think it's why I got in this. The, the the extremism is really out of control. I think people's willingness to subvert democracy is out of control. And unfortunately, despite the fact that I've been gerrymandered out of my district, none of that changes. Those are things I'm going to continue fighting for. As far as what's next for me, I think it's going to be focusing on a lot of that. But I'm here to stay. And um, it, it, it's been it's been the honor and the privilege of a life to be able to be home here and interact with so many people from every walk of life to have the opportunity to uh, even talk about representing the district that I live in and my parents live in, my whole family lives in, and that's not going to change. So I'm going to continue working hard to make things better politically here, but also uh, just make people's lives better. It's it's why I got in this. I think we need more people who want to make people's lives better. And I'm Excited to continue doing that in whatever form it takes, even if it's not uh, anything on the ballot right now. How can people find out more about you or follow your continued activism, either on Twitter or any other place on the Internet that you want to be found? So I am going to be on Twitter at Samuels for Mo, M-O, and SamuelsforCongress.com. I think we'll we'll keep that up uh, as a website and you can learn more there. But I'll stay active and and keep people posted with everything that I'm working on. And uh, whatever comes next, I will need help from people in the community to do all of that too. And I will uh, be out and, and about and engaged and excited to interact with people in the next chapter here. That's it for this episode of Politically Speaking. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can read all of our stories at stlpr.org and follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.